Gospel of Luke is one of the Gospels. There's 39 books in the Old Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament. So the New Testament's the second half of the Bible. And it starts with the stories of Jesus, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This morning our attention is drawn to the Gospel of Luke. Um, 2019, we have um, sought to look at the Bible from a 30,000 foot view to try to help us put the pieces of the Bible together. 66 books, but it's not just uh, one continuous story. There's books that come from different sections, and our desire has been to look at it systematically so that you can put the pieces of the Bible together. Uh, these eight weeks, we've come to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to look at the life of Jesus because the life of Jesus is the climax to the story of redemption. The story of the Bible is the story of God redeeming his people back to himself. Everything's right in chapter 1. Everything's right in Revelation 22. <laughs> Genesis 1, everything else in between, God's fixing just about. And it is the story of his redemption, of bringing his people back into a right relationship, perfect relationship with him. Uh, the witness to Jesus' life is fourfold. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each Gospel is, has a distinct author. It has a distinct audience that it was written to. And it has distinct themes that trace throughout it. Um, Matthew was a Jewish man writing to Jewish people, and so the theme of Matthew is that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Mark's gospel is written more to a Roman secular group, but Mark is a Jewish man, and in Mark, uh, Mark traces Jesus as the suffering servant. I'll skip Luke. John, obviously John is a Jewish man, one of the 12 disciples, uh, written to the church after he had been established, maybe about six decades. And he writes to show that Jesus is the Son of God. Next Sunday we'll be in John and we'll be talking about another aspect of Jesus' ministry that we don't talk about today. Luke's gospel... Uh, the theme throughout it is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I've given you little catchphrases to maybe help you capture uh, the essence of books of the Bible, sections of the Bible. I want you to know it. the one thing really that just captures Luke is that for Luke, Jesus is the Savior of the world. And there's a certain emphasis on one of those words. It is the word world. He is the savior of the world. Um, if you there's sheets at the end of your pews. If you haven't been here or don't know, I mean, there's sheets that some of this is covered in some of the details that maybe you'll want to know. Or humor me, put it in your Bible, fold it in half, it's in fit, and then when you get home, just empty your Bible. Um, Humor me that you're interested in this stuff, please. Um, 
I'm going to get mine out of my front of my Bible to stick right over here and remember what I can put what I put in it. So I, I've given you some of these these ideas. Um, this the Gospel of Luke is lit, written by a guy by the name of Luke. Is that on the sheet? Sure enough. Now, it's his name is not in the book, the Gospel, but we know from uh, internal uh, descriptions and context and stories that it is Luke who is a physician who travels with Paul that is the one who writes this. We also know from external evidence because the early church fathers, the earliest people in Christianity, identified Luke, Dr. Luke, uh, as the author of this gospel. What you need to understand is the significance is that Luke is a Gentile. He is not a Jew. In fact, in all the 27 books of the, of the New Testament, Luke is the only Gentile, non-Jew, who writes a book. Okay, you understand, if he's the author, then that's going to reflect on what he writes. Uh, he is, the other thing is he is a travel companion to Paul. Now, we see this uh, because I'm not supposed to tell you this yet, but not only does he write the Gospel of Luke, but he also writes the history of the early church in the book of Acts. Okay? Uh, And he is the travel companion to Paul. What was Paul doing? Who was Paul? Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was the one who went to the world. He took the Gospel beyond the bounds of Judaism and the Jewish culture and he took it to the farthest parts of the world and so Luke is a part of that and so you get that that sense that that Luke is not coming from a a Jewish background but he is opening up the gospel for the entire world therefore the theme of Luke is he is Jesus is the Savior of the world everybody the other thing Well, let's read. Uh, I wanted you to see who he writes the book to. So this is how Luke begins his story of Jesus, Luke 1. And we're going to read the first four verses. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. We'll come back to brother Theo that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed Luke writes his gospel to a man named Theophilus which is a Greek name Theophilus as far as we can tell is not Jewish in any sense Luke is not Jewish he is Gentile Theophilus is not Jewish. He is Gentile. Theophilus means the friend of God or 
the God lover, whatever you want to, you could translate that several ways. He must be a man of some distinction because he is described as most excellent. So this is a man of some rank in society. And notice that Luke says the purpose of why he writes this to Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. We want you to know. This, the Gospel of Luke was a teaching tool, not just for Theophilus, but for many people to say, we want you to understand Jesus and, and what he did while he was here and who he is. Um, now, as I said earlier, Luke also writes the history of the early church, which is the book of Acts. And we see the connection between the gospel of Luke and Acts. In Acts 1.1, Luke writes, The former account, which would be the gospel of Luke, I made, O Theophilus, same guy, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And he's going to go on. There's four gospels, four witnesses uh, to the life of Jesus. There's only one witness or history of the early church, and that is the book of Acts. Luke's, Luke writes the gospel, and he also writes the book of Acts. He writes it to Theophilus, who surely was a recent convert to Christianity and needed to be instructed. Do you understand? Luke wanted to hand him a copy of a, it wouldn't have been a book, it would have been a scroll, so that he could study it and he would know about the life of Jesus and who Jesus was, what he did, what he taught, how he died, how he was raised from the dead. Luke goes into great detail. In fact, I put on your sheet that Luke is the longest and most comprehensive of all the Gospels. In fact, you get that in those early verses. It's like, I know other people have done this. But I wanted to make a comprehensive uh, document of all that Jesus, and so there are things that are, that are in Luke that aren't in any of the other Gospels, at least to that point, which would be Matthew and Mark. But there were other stories and other things that were circulating, and surely Luke investigated all of these sources to compile his book. In fact, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, is twice as long as Mark's Gospel. So you get the sense that, wait a second, there's a there's a lot more material in Luke, and we're going to talk about some of that today. So, it's from a non-Greek writer, Luke, to a non—I'm sorry, a non-Jewish writer, Luke, written to a non-Jewish man, a Greek, Theophilus. And the theme that traces throughout the Gospel is Jesus' compassion for all people. I don't have time to prove this point or trace that out for you this morning. But Luke tells stories of the people that are not a part of the Jewish male-dominated <laughs> culture. He includes stories of women and children, outcasts and the poor. Luke was showing Theophilus that Jesus had a compassion for all people, not just the Jews. You understand? The gospel is breaking out of its Jewish 
uh, infancy into a gospel that is for all people. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and that's what Luke was relating to Theophilus and many other people. Now, if you've been here for the last couple weeks, you know that in Matthew's gospel, we, that's where we started, we talked about the birth of Jesus. And uh, Matthew and Luke include stories of the birth of Jesus. We secondly looked at Mark's gospel, and we looked at the ministry of John the Baptist, that he came to announce the coming of the special sent one, the Messiah who was sent from God. Um, and so in each of the gospels, there are at least some aspects of this. The start of Jesus' birth, uh, Luke includes one story, it's the only gospel that tells the story of Jesus at 12 years of age in the temple. Then they will talk about, I guess all of them, talk about John the Baptist. Um, each of them has a story of the, the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, which included his baptism and temptation, 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. And then here's the other thing. So that's, all the Gospels include kind of those kind of uh, materials to start their Gospel to some extent. The other thing about each of the Gospels is 30 to 40% of all of the Gospels is about the last week of Jesus' life. I mean, there's, there's going to be a whole chunk. In fact, we're going to spend <laughs> four weeks, I think, in the last week uh, of the Gospels because it's given great weight. And so I need you to visualize this with me. I don't know if you can. I'm sorry. Do you all hear the voices or is it just me? Like right now? Jennifer, can you hear it? Yeah, okay. And I, I want to be able for you to see what I see in my brain, but there's, there's the preliminary stories in all the Gospels of the birth, young life, um, John the Baptist's ministry, and then Jesus' baptism, and immediately his temptation in the wilderness. And then there's this last week that we're going to spend. In between that section, we're going, that's where we're going to camp out this Sunday and next Sunday. That section is three years. In fact, if you look on your, your timeline, that would be 27 A.D. to 30 A.D. Okay? Three years. Now, my question, what I want you to get is, what did Jesus do in those three years? Very critical. Jesus, as the Son of God, would have known he only had three years. What is he going to do? In those three years. Now, the end of the story that you're not going to know necessarily now, but the great significance is get this, those three years, whatever it was that Jesus did, becomes a model for what we as his followers do today. Very critical that we understand whatever it was that Jesus did. He modeled for his followers who would come after him of what they were to do. Now, here, here's where it comes down to you personally today. Uh, you have to find yourself in that story. 
there's going to be this story in these three years, and even though it's been almost 2,000 years ago, you are somewhere in that story. You are somewhere in those crowds of people, or the 12, or someone else. You're somewhere in that story. And you've got to figure out today, where am I in that story? And that's what I want you to think about today. So after the baptism of Jesus and then his temptation, well, actually before his temptation in Luke's account, Luke 3.23, look with me quickly. Luke 3.23. Luke records, now Jesus himself began his ministry, that's very important, at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joshua, the son of Hillel. Hallel. Um, he begins his ministry. It's going to last three years. You need to see that in your brain. Jesus is about 30 years of age. That is significant because... 30 years of age was the time that a young man could serve as a priest. He may have been born into a priestly family, but it was only when he was 30 was he of age to be a priest. And so it was true for Jesus and his ministry. He had come of age. The other thing significant in Luke chapter 3 that we don't have time to look at this morning, but is alluded to in verse 23 is that when Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus, and you remember that Matthew did the same and traced him back to David and Abraham, <laughs> when Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus back, he goes all the way back to Adam. Do you know why? Because Jesus is the Savior of the world, not just the Jews. <laughs> He's not just a descendant of Abraham and David, no, he is, he is from the first father. He is the one who came, that all of us came from. And so the genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. After his temptation, it says in Luke 4, 14. This is really the beginning of his ministry. Luke 4, 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He had been in the Judean wilderness when he was baptized and tempted. He's gone north to Galilee where he was raised. And news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. Notice this in verse 15. And he taught. If I could just pause right there. When we say Jesus started his ministry at 30 years of age, you say, what was his ministry? Primarily, Jesus filled the role as a Jewish rabbi. I don't know if anybody in this room knows a Jewish rabbi. My guess would be no. It's not, we don't even have a little box for, oh, that's that guy. 
Cody and Cricket know a Jewish rabbi? Okay, I stand corrected. The Maury, okay, now Barry. Okay, never mind, never mind, people. <laughs> My point being, we don't see Jewish rabbis walking around the streets of Huntington much anymore, ever, never. Jesus filled the role as a Jewish rabbi who was a teacher. And so when Luke writes this, and all the other Gospels, verse 15, and he taught, where? In their synagogues being glorified by all. He came of age, and he begins his ministry. He begins to teach. There would have been hundreds of rabbis in Israel in Jesus' day. Hundreds, of, I don't know, maybe there were several thousand, I don't know. This is not uncommon. He is a young man who has come of age, and he would teach in synagogues. Uh, almost like a, a young preacher boy. I don't know. Just kind of going from church to church, and say, let me preach, then I get to preach, and I'm a teacher. And he would gain a certain sense of following. Notice that he goes to his hometown in verse 16. It says, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read so Jesus goes back to his home synagogue I know that's disappointing to y'all that I don't have a picture right now of that synagogue I wish I did I don't sorry about that but I do have a picture of the end of the story ha 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 Jesus goes, and his, his first sermon in his home synagogue went really well. He, he blasphemed God as far as they were concerned because he said, the prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled in me. And then he tells stories about people, Gentiles, who were more favored by God than the Jewish people. I mean, he hit all the buttons. But the reason he told those stories about the Gentiles in that first synagogue you know why? You know why Luke is the only one that records it? Because Jesus is the Savior of the world, not just you Jews. They were so enthralled with Jesus' teaching that they let him out on a high mountain outside of town, and they were going to chunk him down. I have a picture of that. Not them chunking him down, but uh, Nathan, do we have a picture? It's that. It's quite remarkable at end of town in Nazareth is this hill and this precipice it's called the Mount of Precipice it looks over the Jezreel Valley uh, it would have been a form of stoning I know this is, I shouldn't say this in a humorous way I mean, it would, he would have been stoned on the way down let's just be honest it's, it's a very high cliff and uh, there is that story somehow that it says that Luke, that he passed among their midst and walked away. And so Jesus begins his ministry um, as a Jewish rabbi, which will be the role that he fills for the next three years. He changes locations. In chapter 4, verse 31, it says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. 
and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Y'all, I just can't resist. I have a picture of that synagogue. Serious. It just still blows my mind. And these aren't the walls. That is the foundation. That is that, that floor right there is where this took place. It still just kind of blows my mind. Anyhow, I don't know who the lady was, okay? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I was just taking a picture. Some of y'all are going, who's the lady in the picture? That is the synagogue in Capernaum. Thank you, Nathan. I needed to move on. Jesus goes maybe to a place that will be more fertile. And he goes to the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, just to these little fishing villages. And um, he begins his ministry as a teacher, and he's teaching in those little synagogues and those little fishing villages on the north end of the Sea of Galilee is what they relate here. Now, I want us to think for just a minute, and this is on your sheet. What was Jesus teaching? I spent some time this week just going through the, the gospel of Luke, that three years, and it's amazing what Jesus taught, but there were really three areas in which Jesus taught or aspects or methods that he used. One of them was parables. In fact, Luke's gospel records, uh, as I counted, 26 times that Jesus told a parable. A parable uh, is an earthly story with a heavenly truth. It's kind of an analogy, we might say. Um, later it says, he, he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Hmm. He was teaching a heavenly truth using an earthly story or analogy. Jesus also taught through propositional truth, which means he just gave principles, uh, not in pictures, not in an analogy, just no. Two plus two equals four. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, but I say to you here, I'm sorry, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. And so in the midst of three years, in all these chapters in Luke, we see parables 26 times he uses those. We see propositional truth too many to even count. Um, thirdly, there were, there were what I would call just life lessons. There were times that circumstances came up around him that he used it as a teaching opportunity. Later in Luke it says, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. So there's times that he just set the crowd down and he talked in parables so they would understand the kingdom of God. There were times he just gave them propositional truth. We see that in the Sermon on the Mount. There were times that there were circumstances in the course of that three years that he used that circumstance as sort of an object lesson or a life lesson. This is very significant uh, because there comes a point in Jesus' life. Notice with me in chapter 6, verse 12. Luke 6, 12. Now, it came to pass in those days, so this is, this is Luke 6, so you can kind of put it in time-wise. This is early in the three years. 
And it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. So Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, a teacher, and he goes from synagogue to synagogue, but in the pro- and there's people that come and hear him. And there were probably, he was outside some, and he's just talking, and there's maybe large groups of people, even early on in his ministry. But in those early years, along that northern edge of Gal- the Sea of Galilee, there comes a point where he chooses 12. Some have said that he spent 90% of his time with those 12. Why? Jesus chose to choose 12 that he might invest his life in them in a more intense way than just those who sat in the synagogue, just those who came to the hillside to listen to his sermons. No, these were men who were going to come and be with him and stay with him. I want you to get the sense that strategically Jesus said, no, there are going to be some that I'm going to choose to live with me, to see me live on a daily basis so that they will get my way of life and what I'm talking about at a deeper level than those that just have a little sampling of me. It is what I, it is a relational component to what Jesus was doing Uh, He was relating to them not just truth. Uh, I don't even know if this is a good term. He was relating to them relational truth. They not only knew his words, but they knew the man. They saw him live 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They stayed with him. Jesus went by the Sea of Galilee, and he called Peter and Andrew, James and John, fishermen. Uh, He goes by the tax collector's office in Capernaum. I don't have a picture of that. I wish I did. Matthew or Levi is sitting there and he calls him. In fact, as far as I can tell, all of his 12 came from those little villages in the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. There may be an exception to that. I have, that's off the top of my head. Uh, I listed on your sheet the 12 disciples that are listed there. Some of them have double names and different lists. But Jesus chooses 12 men to be a part of his higher education. This is what you have to understand. Is that Jesus as a rabbi could be a a teacher. But there were certain people that he would call into relationship with him. That would be a part of a, a more intensive time of study with him. In Jewish culture, get this. This is higher education. There is not a university. There is a rabbi. Paul would say, I sat at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel. That's like saying, I graduated from Texas A&M, Stephen F. Austin, Sam Houston, wherever. No, that's where I got my education. I sat at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel. These men signed up for courses, but it's not just from 9 in the morning until noon. This is 
24 hours a day, seven days a week, as far as we can tell, for virtually three years. Here was the process. Jesus calls them. We see these stories. They commit to follow him. Jesus teaches them, and they become like him. Jesus leaves, <laughs> they pass on his teaching. That, that would have been true for all rabbis, not just Jesus. He would have called people to say, no, I've invited you to enroll in my classes of higher education. For the next three years, you're going to stay with me. Uh, and they would have had to make a commitment to come and to give up three years of their life and to live with that rabbi. In the course of those, that time frame, that rabbi, Jesus in this case, would have taught them, not simply by his words, but the way that he lived. And the intent was that over those three years, they would become like him. They would know his teaching, but they would know how he prayed, how he fasted, whatever he did, how he ate. They would become like him. And then finally, there would come a point when uh, that rabbi, it was like, no, this is over. For Jesus, he died, was resurrected, ascended to the Father. Classes are closed. But they were responsible then for passing on the rabbi's teaching. Tag, you're it. Do you get it? In fact, it would have been teenage boys. It would have been boys from 16 to 20. Peter's the only one we know, I think, that was married. Young men, they would have studied under the rabbi. And you know what? When they got to be 30 years of age, voila, they could be a rabbi. They could teach. They would have taught the way they were taught. And so this is what it means for Jesus to have disciples and for him to have followers. Now, this is very significant, and I want to I conclude with this. So, so this is 30,000 feet. In the three years, what was Jesus doing? The vast majority of Luke is about his teaching. Now, there's another aspect. We're going to look at John. He also performed miracles, healings, and uh, cast out demons. And we're going to look at that next Sunday in the Gospel of John. That was the other aspect of his ministry. But so much of his ministry was fulfilled in this role as a Jewish rabbi, a teacher, and the disciples that he drew in. And what I'm saying to you is it becomes that model of that three years becomes the model for church today. What are we doing? This is the big picture. This is 30,000 feet. Wait a second. That's what Jesus did. We are followers of Jesus. What do we do? We do the same thing that Jesus did because there came a point at the end that Jesus basically said, tag, you're it. You go and make disciples. Just the way I have made disciples out of you followers of me, you go and make disciples. Here's, here's the thing. That's exactly what Luke was doing in his gospel. He was passing on the truth to a man by the name of Theophilus and he writes this gospel so that Theophilus could be instructed in those things so that he would learn. There's three steps for us to take today. 
in that same pattern, Jesus calls us to follow. We must make a commitment to follow him. There must come a point in life when we say, no, Jesus is the answer. He is the only way to God. He is the true teacher. Now, Jesus is a teacher. He's more than a teacher. But Jesus is a teacher. But he's more than a teacher. And there comes a point in the gospel when the message goes out and Jesus calls that we must forsake all and we must follow him. There must be a commitment there. Secondly, a part of the process is we must become like him. You say, well, there's a problem there, preacher, because Jesus isn't here anymore. That's why Luke wrote his gospel. That's why it was all written down in the book, so that those that come after would, what did Jesus teach? How did he live? What was he about? Who was he? Read the book. That's why they wrote it down. Say, Jesus isn't there to teach it to us. No, there's two aspects, though, that Jesus is there. Because on the day of Pentecost, he sends his spirit. The spirit of Jesus comes inside those, and they take his word, what is recorded, inspired by apostolic witness of who Jesus was and what he was about. And the spirit, the spirit of Jesus, teaches us those truths, and we are surrounded, not by ourselves, just us, the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit, but we are surrounded by a community because Jesus didn't choose 12 individuals to live individually he chose 12 individuals to live together and he said in the midst of the community as you study the word and the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus abides in you then you will learn about me you will become like me get this when we choose to follow Jesus it's not about getting our ticket punched to go to heaven and say I'm done that's not what Jesus did oh just believe in me and you'll go to heaven thank you for coming Invite your friends next time. No. Jesus called them into a relationship with him. Yes, that has an impact on our eternity, but is, is to be lived out relationally, his word, his spirit, within his community, the body of Christ. And then the pattern is we are then, tag, you're it, to pass it on. Whether that's to our children whether we do that within the context of the church, we do that in the context of the home, where however we do that, we are responsible for passing on what we have been taught to the next generations that follow us so they can teach others. We must pass it on. He calls. We must make a commitment to follow. We are in his word, guided by his spirit in the context of the community of faith to learn to become like Jesus and then we are responsible for passing it on that's the big picture of what Jesus was about in the three years and my question for you today is where are you in that process where are you in that story there were people that Jesus called that did not follow there were people that he called that he that followed and there were those among the 12 that learned him in a greater way than others where are you in the process
do you know that Jesus has called you and have you ever committed to follow him? Jesus, recorded by Luke, would say in 9.23, If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. Do you know that you've been called and have you taken the step of discipleship to say, yes, I will follow Jesus and whatever it looks like, I will forsake all. Are you, if you've done that, are you in that phase of learning of him and are you becoming day by day like Jesus? Are you in his word, led by his spirit, within the community of faith, to say, I am in the process of my life of becoming more like Jesus. And have you come to the stage in that process where it's time for you to pass that on to others who will pass it on to others? And so I, I ask you, where are you in the story? And what is the next step that Jesus would want you to take? Let me pray if you'll stand. Father, we uh, ask that you would help us to keep walking towards you. And that, Father, I pray for all of us, we would ask and answer and respond to the question, what is my next step? Father, I pray for any today that need to take the first step of choosing to commit to Jesus. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. I pray for others wherever they are in the journey. That, Father, you would exhort them, Father, to press forward. So, Father, we pray for that today in this time of commitment. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.